Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith, here with your welcome toast. It was Mark Twain who said, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. Really good show coming up because we have a cookbook that isn't technically vegetarian, yet it is so plant-based and deliciously creative about how to use vegetables, let's say, as bread, using a spiralizer, that noodle maker thing, to make a pasta from vegetables, and so much more. It's about how to be healthy and love your food, and we think that's really, really important, the loving your food part. Great events around the region to tell you about. Our studios are at the Big G Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven, where we use five huge professional kitchens, part of the Big G's culinary training program. My food buddies are here, senior contributors Chris Brosberry and Mark Raymond, along with Senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, Faith. Faith. I'm really excited about this book. This is how I've been eating with extra vegetables. But but to have them be delicious, there can be a kind of um, nutritionist-centric way of saying, do this, you know, (laughs) no matter what. This has to be delicious, and I think think Allie has found a way. Yeah, Yeah, she's got Um, some amazing ideas. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. Thanks to Robin. Robin and I are big New Yorker magazine readers. She brought me in a poem by Carl Dennis that appeared in The New Yorker in August. This poem is called Bottle of Wine. I'm reading it because later in the show, we have a wine discovery for you, a beautiful wine from South Africa available across our region. And it's a Cabernet Sauvignon, so we're going to do that. The poem Bottle of Wine from The New Yorker. I like to park a few blocks from the house of my hosts and walk with my bottle of wine the tree-lined streets, anticipating the dinner with friends that await me. A bottle of wine showing not only that I'm grateful to be included, but that I'm eager to do my part, to offer a gift that won't survive the evening, that says I've set aside the need for transcendence and made my peace at last with living in time. Soon we'll welcome the evening with a toast. Soon we'll be toasting it in farewell as it starts on its journey into the near past and then the far. Do the houses I'm passing regard me as a creature about to vanish into the realm of shadow while they have resolved to hold their ground? But the bottle I'm carrying shows how the past can enhance the present. The grapes it was made from were plucked and pressed seven years ago in a vineyard in Burgundy, according to customs already in place for generations. By the time these houses moved from the realm of blueprints and estimates into brick and wood, 
The bottle will testify that traditions once honored are being adhered to still with patience, with pride. And if the past is present this evening, isn't the future present as well in the thought that the ritual I'm helping to pass along will prove enduring, that however much the world around it may alter, guests will still perform it in eras to come? I hope I feel their presence in spirit under these trees later this evening as I walk back to my car with empty hands. A poem from Carl Dennis in the August New Yorker this year. That was great. That's worth the subscription right there. And now, Chris, I'm excited about this book, too. Allie Mafucci, she's been doing so many of these in spiralized cookbooks. The spiralizer is this little hand thing where they all work different ways. And you can make uh, noodles out of vegetables. Not only is it healthful, but it tastes good. Sometimes you don't even miss the pasta. And it looks really cool, too. The sauce is so good. Yeah. Yeah, It's fun to eat. This time she decided, yeah, I'll do some spiralizing in this book. That's all fine. But she decides to find these other ways for us to add vegetable nutrients to our diets. I think she's so creative with this. She's doing stuff like potato slabs that replace toast, cauliflower that becomes a pizza crust, broccoli that turns into potatoes, jackfruit that mimics pulled meat, and that's just the beginning. She's got 125 recipes in here, including flourless breakfast crepes with peaches and sunflower butter, sweet Mm. potato waffle grilled cheese, and mint chocolate avocado ice cream, which is said to be sensational in the reviews. One of the reasons I'm doing this book is for you to hear as you listen to this conversation how creative she and you, thanks to her inspiration, how creative you can be. Oh, turnips can be my potatoes if you don't want to do potatoes or you can't for some reason. Ali Mafucci, welcome to the Fuchmoose Party. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that amazing introduction. Oh, you're welcome. Allie, tell me about the best vegetables that you can use to make spiralized rice. Spiralized rice is just a spiralized vegetable that you put into a food processor, and you pulse it until it's rice-like, and then you can treat it like rice. My favorite veggies to use for that are usually root vegetables because they're heartier and they have more of a consistency like rice, so... I love sweet potato rice. So one of my favorite recipes is my sweet potato fried rice. So you put it in the food processor. The option is to decide then how to cook that thing. And are you frying it in a fry pan? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways depending on the veggie. Most root vegetables, I love just sauteing with some olive oil, coconut oil, butter if that's your thing. And if it's something that you can have raw, like a beet, you can make beet rice. And I love just tossing that with some edamame and a dressing and kind of making like a fresh superfood rice salad. So it all depends on what veggie you're using. But in general, something mm. in the pan is a great option. This idea of bread, toast, crusts, wraps, and more in your book is really interesting to me. By the way, the book is called Inspiralized and Beyond. And in this one, Beyond, because there are some meat and fish recipes, but Beyond is the key. That's what we're doing right now. 
this idea that bread can often be filled with so many chemicals. I remember once picking up a brand in a regular supermarket, and I had read something, and I thought, that can't be true. It really honestly did say in the ingredients, it said wood fiber. When you're trying to eat less processed, wholesome, clean diet, let's say, bread products can be a hurdle, as you point out, talking about burger buns, tortillas, pizza crust. They often have things like added sugars, dairy, preservatives, processed wheat, which has become a real problem for people. For my buns, I love using spiralized veggies. So you cook the veggies, you toss it with an egg for a binder, and then you put it in a ramekin or you could use anything like a muffin cup or something. Or a pie plate, right? Yeah, you can make a noodle crust out of spiralized vegetables mixed with the egg. Cool. So that's one of the ways that, yeah, that's yeah. one of the ways that I use the spiralized veggies. Yeah, I like that. And you use root vegetables often because they have the chew feeling that mouthfeel that you want from a burger bun. Let's go to one of the first recipes, autumn Brussels sprout quiche. And this has a sweet potato crust. How does this become a crust? What we do here is we thinly slice sweet potatoes. You do this with a mandolin, or you can actually do it on a spiralizer. But for this recipe, I use the mandolin. And you lay it into a pie pan, and you bake it the sweet potatoes harden up and form a crust. And then you just pour the egg mixture that has the onions and the rosemary and the Brussels sprouts in it, pour that over the crust and bake it. And so when you take a slice, the bottom is actually those sliced sweet potatoes. Great idea. So that is actually your crust. (laughs) The picture is amazing. You have to see this online at our site. Thank you, Allie, for letting us do that. On the site, we have this autumn or anytime Brussels sprout quiche with a sweet potato crust. And you'll see that the sliced sweet potatoes in a pie plate have this ruffled edge around the outside that is so beautiful. That's on our site at foodschmooze.org. Allie, these flourless breakfast crepes with peaches and then smeared with sunflower butter. Oh, yum. This fascinated me about how you do these particular crepes. There are others in the book. Can you explain how this works? One of the things that I love is making two-ingredient pancakes, and the two ingredients are banana and eggs. I'm a lover of crepes. I thought, you know, I bet if I just thinly spread out this two-ingredient batter, it would make a crepe. And then I love nut butter. You know, I try to switch it up, and I love the taste of the sunflower butter, and it has a nice summery feel to it also, like a nice nuttiness to go with the peaches. You pureed banana and eggs, and then you get the pan pretty hot, and then you put in a little of this batter of just banana and eggs, swirl the skillet so that the bottom gets coated, and it does form a thin crepe, cooks for a couple minutes, the edges are set, they get maybe just a little bit of brown on the edge, you flip it over for a minute, and there you go, and then you start smearing on things. So if you're a crepe lover... You see what I'm saying? I love it. It's just like green. It's so simple. Okay. So there are cinnamon raisin sweet potato bagels made with, obviously, sweet potatoes. There's a zucchini crust breakfast pizza that we were really interested in. It has almond flour, zucchini, obviously, some eggs, dried basil, dried oregano, garlic powder, salt and pepper, small bell peppers, 
extra virgin olive oil because you want to drizzle a little, and then some shredded mozzarella cheese. You got a little baby arugula. Uh, how you doing the crust? People rave about cauliflower crust, but I find that zucchini crust have a little thicker consistency, and they just have more flavor. So what I do here is I take the eggs and the almond flour and all those dried Italian herbs, salt and pepper, and I mix them together in a bowl until they have a dough-like texture. Mm. And then I basically transfer the dough to a baking sheet and form it into rounds. You could do rectangles, kind of any shape you like. Bake it for 15 minutes, and you have a crust for a pizza. You could put any toppings as you want it, but I wanted to do a breakfast pizza. Very, very so cool. delicious. And I love the arugula <laughs> with the egg. The photo looks amazing. It makes me want to eat it right now. <laughs> Thank you. Chris, you made, and it was absolutely delicious. It's a Philly cheesesteak in a bell pepper cup. So you take peppers and you cut them in half and you scoop out the seeds and you just put them on a baking dish and throw them in the oven. While they're baking, slice up some sirloin steak, a little bit of garlic, spiralized onion, and some cremini mushroom. You sear off the steak. You remove it from the pan. Then you add the onion, the mushroom, the garlic, and you cook that just really quick, kind of stir-frying it. And it does kind of look like pasta because the onions are all stringy. Take the meat, throw it back in there. Cook it for another minute or so. By the time you're done with that, your peppers are done. Fill the peppers with that mixture. Top it with a piece of cheese. Throw it under the broiler and you're done. I don't know. As a chef, sometimes I, you overthink recipes. You're like, oh, I should put some more stuff in it. But, <laughs> right, you guys ate it, wasn't it? Just Yeah. I'm a fan of stuffed peppers. And it's on our website, Philly Cheesesteaks with bell pepper cups. Yeah, and I did half in bell pepper and half in poblano peppers. Yeah. So they made it even more fun. Because so I got one with a little spice, just a little too. spice to it. Yeah. I mean, I hope as you're listening to this conversation that you're hearing that you can look at the vegetables that you're either buying at a farmer's market because this is booming vegetable time. You can look at that and say, wow, I could do something with this rutabaga or these turnips and turn them into – like, Allie, the zucchini-wrapped pork dumplings. That's actually one of my most popular recipes oh, in the cookbook. Yeah. Instead of having the actual dumpling dough, you have thinly sliced zucchini. You make a pork mixture with scallions and a bunch of great umami flavors from soy sauce and garlic. Wrap that pork mixture with those zucchini slices until they're, like, formed into little dumplings. And just bake them in the oven. And Genius. you can, you know, I love serve. it. Yeah, and the consistency is wild. It tastes just like a dumpling. You don't miss the dough at all. Now I know what I'm going to do with all my Isn't really large amazing? zucchini that I have. You know, so often these things are just don't have great flavor. And I love this. When you're doing tostadas, which I was thinking, wow, how is she going to make a tostada? Can you tell us how you did that? I used another root vegetable, the yuca, and I blended it with eggs and spread it out in a baking sheet and baked it until it was thin like a fried tortilla. I wanted to make it vegetarian friendly. So I did some mashed black beans and kind of like the classic ingredients you'd see on tostada, like a little bit of salsa. I really like this way of getting more vegetables into my diet because I'm a pretty paleo-friendly person, and I think that would be a good idea. If you're someone where your doctor has said, ah, oh, we want you on the DASH diet, which is basically Mediterranean but missing a lot of good stuff, uh, maybe you are on this low oxalate thing or maybe you're a plant-based eater, 
I just am so glad you did this. I'm glad you you branched out. There's a chicken saltin boca in a skillet. I love prosciutto wrapped around chicken. Anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoes. Okay, so how did you do this in your way? What's great about spiralizing is that if you were to just tube a potato, you wouldn't get nearly as much as you would if you spiralize it. Just because you're getting these beautiful long spirals, they're more fun to eat, they take longer to eat, they fill you up in a different way. So for this dish, instead of just using potatoes like I have normally seen them served at a restaurant, I wanted it to be like a sexy date night meal where you're not spending much time in the kitchen, you're just putting everything into a skillet, and then you're splitting it with someone for dinner, and you don't, it's not that much mess. Italian-American dishes are usually served with pasta, so the, the potato noodles still give you that pasta-like consistency, just a bit heartier. I love this story where you make the mint chocolate chip avocado ice cream, which doesn't even need an ice cream maker. You were referencing your mother, who was doing a kind of vegan diet that was raw so she could get her blood sugar levels to be okay, because she's a type 1 diabetic, very serious, and I guess found this mint chocolate chip avocado ice cream somewhere, made it for you, and you were just blown away with how creamy, minty, and subtly sweet it was. And so think about this. Uh, you've got a loaf pan. You put parchment paper in it. High-speed blender combined coconut cream. You can get it anywhere. Avocado, fresh avocado, maple syrup, coconut oil, and mint extract. You blend that till it's smooth and creamy. You stir in cacao nibs, and you freeze it for about five hours. There you go. I'm going to try it. You know what I'm thinking, too? For anyone who has dietary issues, it seems like she solved almost every problem. And who doesn't? I can't have dairy. Well, there's an ice cream. I can't have flour. There's a flourless cream. And the recipes are so interesting and flavorful and exciting. I was on her website, and I was just pulling down recipes for different golden beets, beets, and all the different <laughs> recipes she's got under every category. And I'm like, oh, my God, I could spend all day here. I know. She it's knows great. she won us over. <laughs> I guess we're fans of yours. I love to hear when people get excited about this style of eating because it's totally changed my life. You can eat healthy food, and it, it can be very delicious. How did it change your life? I discovered spiralizing through my mother, who you had mentioned before, mm -hmm. um, on her journey with diabetes. And... I, you know, had always struggled with portion control. I, you know, I'm Italian American. I love pasta. Yeah. So when I when I discovered spiralizing, I could not believe how much it tasted like spaghetti. And I know. I it really was amazing. So this is how you eat healthy. This is how you have your cake and eat it too. I started my food blog, and it's helped me become the wow. healthiest person I've ever been. Wow, awesome. that's great. Well done. Uh, you know, same here. When I first tried the pasta. I have spiralized butternut squash in my refrigerator at this minute, and I made this awesome, I have to say, sauce and put it on these spiralized noodles. I had fried them in olive oil, and so they had a little bit of crispy oh, body. Like and it was so phenomenal. I just thought, are you kidding me? What am I eating? <laughs> You know, here's me leading a trip to Italy saying this, but really, I thought this is phenomenal. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. I'm glad you were all inspiralized. 
More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. They are many. We're online now at foodschmooze.org. And, of course, we'll be right back. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Bean. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'm Faith Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast or copy of the show. It arrives every week in your inbox, and you just go to foochmoose.org, sign up one time, and then it comes to you. You have a library. You have an archive. Most important, you can listen on your schedule. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker and senior contributor Mark Raymond, and senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken. Okay, okay, okay. There are so many events coming up in the region that I don't even know how to detail them, but we've selected a few to let you know about. Now, here is advance notice on this because this is so well attended. It's the Mark Twain House, and they are hosting their annual fundraising gala on Saturday night, November 3rd, at the Goodwin Hotel in Hartford. And they're featuring, this is going to be based on a book, uh, Twain's Feast, Searching for America's Lost Foods in the Footsteps of Samuel Clemens. Andrew Beers, the author, is going to be there. 250 community leaders and sponsors, funders, friends all show up for this. Sarah and Luke Bronin in Hartford have said they're coming. WNPR, Connecticut Public Radio, is a a media sponsor. Chef Tyler Anderson is presiding. We care about them and this. We want to see them exist in Hartford as the treasure they are, drawing people from all over the world. And every year it's a great event. So we wanted to let you know, just go to the Mark Twain House online and you will see exactly what to do to reserve your tickets before they are sold out. So can we go to this idea about, before I do another event, this idea about how to create a real BLT Bloody Mary. This is what great bartenders do. 
they sit around and they try things. And I thought, what happens if we try something? The latest phase with Bloody Marys to make them sort of BLT-centric is to put a stick of crispy bacon in as the twizzle stick. Like the celery stick. Yeah, and that's wonderful for a Bloody mm-hmm. Mary, and I have enjoyed that piece of bacon many times crunch, crunch, in crunch. places. Yeah, <laughs> But I just have a feeling that we could do something a little more. We can keep that bacon stick in there, but let's do something a little more bacony, a little more true to what a BLT is. Does anybody have any ideas? Chris, go. Yeah, when I'm in Florida visiting my brother at his hotel, they do this for brunch, and he's been doing this for years. He takes a bottle of vodka, and then on the side, he takes, I don't know, four or five strips of bacon, and he cooks them in a pan nice and crispy, and then he takes the bacon and the bacon drippings, the fat, and he pours that into the bottle of vodka, and he lets it sit in there with the bacon for a couple days, and then he freezes the vodka and strains it, and he gets this amazing mind-blowingly close to bacon vodka that I've ever had in my life. It's like drinking bacon. It's so amazing. A thought I have is very close to that, Chris, Mm -hmm. because I use bacon to flavor bourbon, not the ultimate expensive kind, but Mm -hmm. decent bourbon. I don't put the bacon itself into the glass jar with the bourbon. I just put the fat. And it does the same thing. When it freezes in the freezer, you can lift that fat right off. You strain the uh, bourbon back into the jar, and it's got this smoky, bacony thing going on. Chris says, and his brother says, to do this with vodka. Then we know where we're getting the tomato, but where are we getting the lettuce? I don't know if this would work because I haven't tried this yet, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make a a few strips of bacon Mm -hmm. and I'm going to chop them up and throw those in the blender with my tomato concoction, the horseradish, but maybe less of the horseradish. Why can't I chop up very fine some iceberg lettuce. Right. I'm following you. And the bacon-infused vodka, use the bacon strip as the stirrer in place of the celery. That really sounds good to me. The other thing you could do is you could take, you know, the romaine hearts you buy? I was just going to, yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. And peel them down all the way down till you get the little, you know, they're the like almost heart, yeah. yellowy hearts yep. and actually break those leaves off and stick them right in the glass. And it would be like when you were a kid and you put celery in the colored water and watched it go up. Eventually, if it sat in there long enough, the Bloody Mary liquid would go up into the into, lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> See, what you're, what you're hearing unfold here <laughs> is how a bartender creates it's a drink. And they'll try it one way, then they'll try it another way, then they'll say, I'm going to tweak this, tweak that, and then they come up with the cocktail. Chris, my only thought about that would be, just as sticking a bacon stick in, sticking a rib of lettuce isn't going to really flavor that tomato sauce. So what I'm trying to do is create a flavor profile that's mixed together I'm wondering if you almost take that shredded iceberg and you garnish the top, you take your spoon and you kind of stir it in as you want a bite of chunky. stuff. So like you have you would, a little bit of a chunky. Right. So when you you know how you would take your celery stick out yeah. and take a bite of it? You yeah. take a spoon and you just kind of dip it in and, and you've got a little bit of the bacon, sure. you've got a little bit of the shredded lettuce and the tomato. And Put okay. chopped up You're having sort of an antipasto as well as your drink. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you two are now thinking – 
that this should be a drink Chunky. with a spoon, yeah, which chunky. is perfectly acceptable. You know, and then why I not mean, throw a couple grape tomatoes cut in half in there too? Then it would be like a real like meal, almost a gazpacho. <laughs> almost like a gazpacho, thing. not not enough to where it was like a gazpacho, but just maybe one or two. I think now you're going in a great direction. It reminds me of. Which book was it? I think Fast Food My Way by oh, Jacques yeah, sure. Pepin. And one of his ideas for the end of a meal was to, in a pan, a shallow pan, put in some water and some quite decent Pinot Noir. And then, you know, you stick that in the freezer and you take a fork and you I'll make it keep gratin. stirring. Yeah, sure. And that makes, he said, a beautiful like gratinet. Like a slushy. Yeah, like a slushy, yes. Yeah. So you put that That'll in. Be nice. And in a way, what we're describing is that. Yeah. So do we want in this BLT Bloody Mary, do we want the usual suspects? Do we want Worcestershire sauce, mm, the horseradish, are those two overpowering? I think you'd have to experiment with it for a little bit. And then what about the mayonnaise? Yeah, there are good... two ingredients yeah, that are essential bread to everything. Yeah. Yes. Bread, bread and mayonnaise. Those are the two essential ingredients in a BLT that we haven't talked about yet. In the last few shows, we keep bringing up our Tex-Mex, our Southwestern food. What if we did? And we're always mentioning crema. You bought crema at the store to make some tacos or tamales. Remind people and... what that is. That's, the That's Mexican. like Mexican sour cream. The difference is it is pourable. That's one of my takeaways that I remember. It is pourable. So what if it we, is. like, finished the BLT with a little swirl of crema, something pretty like you would yeah. do for a cappuccino or something? And then I'm thinking big homemade croutons that become a part of the garnish somehow. Yeah. Or breadsticks. Yeah, but they can't touch the drink because they'll get soggy. So they'll have to be extra large cubes. And then you have to play around with how you can put a bamboo toothpick sort of thing through the crouton and it has to stay together, there's going to be some that will fall apart and you just have to eat those. Could the croutons go in at the very last minute just before serving so they're floating on the top? And these folks are saying, use a spoon to eat this. So now we've got a kind of gazpacho BLT Bloody Mary. I like your idea, Robin. We can have a lot of fun with it. This is our project for all of September. (laughs) (laughs) I will start right away because it's my favorite Sunday drink. Same here. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Champagne. That's where I'm going. Um, (laughs) Here's another event. On September 25th, there is something called the Goldfish 50th Anniversary. Fish exists in Greater New Haven. They have been responding to the needs of our neighbors who face obstacles accessing traditional soup kitchens or food pantries. Some people can't get to them for transportation reasons, for a variety of reasons. So what the fish does is respond to them and takes the food to them. And mostly it's the chronically ill, uh, some elderly, disabled people, veterans. Last year alone, we're talking about over 4,000 deliveries to more than 1,000 individuals. And that was an increase over the year before. So we're going to see this uh, happen. So the gala is at Anthony's Ocean View on uh, Lighthouse Road in New Haven. So if you go online to Fish New Haven, you will see what they do. 
You might want to be a sponsor or an attendee and how to get tickets to this event. And uh, we think the work they do, just like Meals on Wheels, is terrific. Do you remember, for some people, it is the end of barbecue season, uh, starting in maybe October 1 or something. I know a lot of other people have their grills out all year. Uh It depends on what your situation is. Some people have no grills at all. So, but... We had been talking on a show within the last couple months about using newspaper to start your uh, – with a charcoal briquette thing to mm-hmm. start your fire. Well, here's an email we got from Richard Kozlowski. He is a Ph.D., and he said, you know, I've spent most of my career as a chemist – I'm concerned with hazardous chemicals that are of environmental concern. He said, so you were talking on the show about using newspaper to ignite the briquettes on barbecue grills. You know, I certainly have done this all my life. And he said, a concern of mine is the release of toxic fumes. He said, this is really hard to be absolutely certain, but The pigments in newspapers, he says, are of concern. He said one site, when he does his research, says that cadmium sulfide is used for the color yellow in in color advertisements in newspapers and magazines. He said if you are releasing cadmium in the smoke, that is a problem. He said in municipal incinerators where they do big-time stuff at the dump – Cadmium releases as much as nickel batteries when they're not properly wow. disposed of. He said there's a concern about lead in newspapers, in the newspaper print. He said so people who do these fires in the backyard and they sort of start it with newspaper and whatever, he said you've got this PVC-type plastic stuff going right into the – He don't do that. He said so in the end – I would say, you know how people have campfires and they throw any kind of trash into the campfire? He said, you can't believe the chemicals that are in this stuff. Don't do that. Now, I wish he had given us yeah, I was gonna say, does he give you an alternative? something <laughs> alternative. else to do. Make sure you're just using the editorial page with all the black and white print. <laughs> yeah, but then that's lead. You have to be careful with well, that, he said. Okay. So I really appreciated Richard sending this in to us because it gives you something to think about. I wish I could tell you what else to <laughs> substitute with, but of course I can't. You can use those fire sticks. I use them to start the fire in the winter in the fireplace. They're little like sap soaked sticks of wood and you can light them with a match and throw that in there. How's so that's that? called fat wood. Yep. I use that Those all the time. Sticks. All winter long. What do you think? Is there? Have they been soaked in anything? To, I, to, yeah, now I'm knows? thinking like maybe who knows. I right? was thinking um, cardboard egg crates. I mean you like to recycle them and go back and get more eggs but if you have a bunch of them, you could use those to start and that cardboard burns a little bit longer. Yeah. And I would imagine that doesn't have any bad ink in it, I would hope. Okay. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. You can get the podcast at foodschmooze.org. You sign up once and you are good to go. We have a wine discovery for you. It's a cab. It's a red cab. And it's from South Africa this time at a good price point, around $20. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back.
I'm Faith Middleton, and this is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken, and to hear the show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 p.m. and Saturdays at noon podcasts, and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Schmooze, S-C-H like school, M-O-O like the cow, Z-E. Wine Discovery, we try and have these happen on the show as much as we can. And this time, it's Mark Raymond discovering this. We're talking here about a Cabernet Sauvignon. So this is a red from Stellenbosch. In South Africa, 2015, we have this online at foodschmooze.org. It's around $20 a bottle. And, Mark, this is a great discovery. This is very interesting, and I can see it going, especially if it's got a little chill on it, with this transition period between summer and fall. Yeah, I love this. I mean, how often do you stop and take a look in the South African section? Probably not every day. Bargain, right? It's a great bargain. It's a wonderful cab that has beautiful plum notes, beautiful blackberry fruit to it. Little vanilla. Little vanilla. It's got that nice richness and great sort of velvetiness on the palate. So the vineyard is Stark Condé. We know what it means when a vineyard is handpicking grapes. It's usually a sign that that vineyard is doing pretty wholesome wine because that takes a lot of effort. Absolutely. If you're getting handpicked grapes, then you know that this is an estate winery. Mm. That I'm take they're a sip. doing Go everything ahead. that here at the show mm-hmm. we love about mm. small wineries. I love the richness of this. Mm. This is just so this is really good. delicious. It's in our glasses here in the studio. And the thing about this is that. It's been open a little while, and yeah. now it is really getting richer and deeper. And for $20, this is drinking like a $35 yeah, bottle of cab. 40. It's really amazingly expressive. It's just got so much fruit and so much going on. What, what is this we good with? We can't do it justice I, by talking about it. I know. What is this good with, before I get into how they do something with these baskets when they pick the grapes? I would have this with grilled chicken. Yeah, anything on the grill. Uh, grilled lamb, grilled vegetables. Oh, eggplant, tomatoes. I'm not opposed to sitting around drinking a chilled bottle of this just with friends, though this is a very food-friendly wine. For me, this time of year, I'm doing grilled skirt steak, grilled short ribs. Oh, yeah. Um, Daniel, my son, loves filet mignon. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe wrap it with a little bit of bacon. Yep, smokiness to yeah. go with that vanilla Yeah. I think, you know, those mm-hmm. are fantastic. I love your idea of lamb. I mean, lamb chops and or a baby leg of lamb. People often, I find, when people are bringing a gift wine to somebody's house because you've been invited to dinner. Now, that doesn't work in Italy because they don't like you to bring wine. They want to do their own wine selection if you're the host. But in our country and some other countries, it does work. A lot of people want to spend between 20, 20 to $40 as a nice gesture to the host for all the work on your behalf. So this, <laughs> is, this is on both. the low end. This is $20. But it's a $40 wine. I think so too, yeah. Chris. But here's what I'm wondering about. On the label, it says that these grapes are basket-pressed. Now, I'm thinking that means that there are these – 
This is almost like the old days of Italian wine where people were stomping them with their bare feet. <laughs> These are there's, um, I think there's a lot of they're different extracting kind of, juice this way. In a delicate way, I think is what they're trying to say. There's a lot of big machinery that's out there that's being used to press grapes at times. I think this is more of a smaller vineyard way of pressing grapes. And only about 6,500 cases produced. There's Which is no, super small. So there's no filtration of this wine, they say, and no fining. Right. Can, you, can you tell us what all that means? So a lot of times they'll put wine through different kinds of filters. There's all different types. And they'll strip away a little bit of that, you know, the character, the, the character, body. the substance. And that's why sometimes with a wine like this, you know, as you get to the bottom of the bottle, if you've laid it down for a little while, you might see a little bit of sediment. And don't be put off by that because that's a natural product from wine. Another thing I was thinking about, if I had a nice little char going with the grill marks on my swordfish, this would really work for me. Yeah, especially oh, yeah. if you did grilled vegetables underneath the swordfish, if you did eggplant and zucchini, that kind yeah. of flavors underneath farmers it. Farmers markets right it now, they're oh. booming, all the vegetables coming in, how, eggplant in particular. How about a nice puttanesca sauce yeah. where, they, where it had a little sure. bit of oh. you know, anchovy, capers. capers. Yeah. 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 The other thing I noticed about this is this is one of those wines that just gets better in the glass. You don't want to rush this. Or is this one of those wines you open like an hour before you're going to have it and let it just sit there and breathe because it's a totally different wine now 45 minutes later. I you think... can do it either way and get two bottles just in case, <laughs> you know? So I like you asking this question because now I get to turn to Mark and say, I'm someone who loves to see something transform in a glass. It starts out one way. And you think, oh, that's very nice. Yeah. And then in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you take another sip and you say, oh, my God, what in the world? How, why didn't I here? recognize yeah. this? Mm -hmm. I think it's fun to yeah. see a wine the progression. change yeah. because of mm -hmm. oxygen contact. Mm -hmm. It evolves in the glass. It becomes more expressive as it warms up a little bit because originally it may be at cellar temperature and now it's a little bit warmer. It becomes a more luscious and the fruit starts to open up. It's just incredible. So while we're on this, I have a question because someone gave me this the other day as a present. It's a wine aerator. Have you seen it? It's like oh, yeah. a little plastic sure. uh, funnily looking thing mm -hmm. and it has two holes on the side. You pour the wine in and it sucks in air. I took it out of the box actually this morning and I set it on the counter next to a decanter. And I'm like, I'm never going to use this or am I? Does that really do – like speed that up? Oh, it does. It, it does. does. Have you tried it? I've never I even tried it. absolutely yeah? have. Yeah. When I've had in the past yeah. uh, a, like a refrigerator-sized wine cave and I would save because of Bob Fenn at Mount Carmel yeah. Wines in Hamden, I would save the French wine gifts yeah. for 10 years as he instructed me to do. And it was easy because I forgot about them. <laughs> and then I realized the aerator, I need the aerator. Yeah. Or for a really yeah. big – remember we used to say, I, I like a big wine, a big Tuscan wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These aerators really work, right? Oh, they do. They yeah, are and they're kind. They're all kinds. There's one with has a hand pump and yeah. – you know, so whatever it, it's, you – The one I have some, is tiny. Some look – it's just as simple as like a funnel. But it, a wine makes like it so much this. more expressive. But here's why Chris is asking oh. this. There have been articles written. You know how this is a sort of geeky exchange goes on except this one's important. Does this aerating do anything or is it psychological? 
more no. than real. That is why I'm asking. It am I going to use psych- it or am I going to just leave it on the counter? It looks pretty. I'll just say, oh, no. yeah, there it, it is. It absolutely works. It's not yeah. psychological. It definitely makes a difference. The next time I open a bottle of red, I'll pour a glass and then I'll run it through the aerator and then I'll taste it side by side and see. Right? So, Perfect way to do it. So if I had to hold this bottle of Stark Condé, which is the vineyard, and it's a Cab Sauvignon 2015. If you go to foodschmooze.org, you'll see a picture of the label. Call ahead. This is South African wine where many bargains are, and the wine is sometimes has much more quality than the price. This is $20, a good host gift, or if on a weekend you're having a special meal and you think, I'm not going to do my usual weeknight 10 to $15. I'm going to do my extra $5 splurge. This is a great one. But here's one more thing. I don't know why I'm thinking this, but when I taste this wine, this Cabernet Sauvignon, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I want to make a real high-quality sangria. Sometimes people just say, I'm going to use an $8 bottle of wine, a $10 bottle of wine to make sangria because it's all so sporty and fun. This would give that sangria the most amazing body. Absolutely. With the plum, the Absolutely. real fruit you put in, maybe a touch of brandy or cognac kind of a thing. This would be so awesome in that. And if you are doing that, always give it a good half a day at least to sit. So oh, the fruit really? absorbs mm-hmm. all that wonderfulness. Is yeah. that an Argentinian yeah. thing? Or I just think that's, that's personal just a, experience. Yeah, just personal experience. <laughs> it also pulls the juice out of the fruit as well. So, you yeah. get, so yeah. it, it sucks some of the wine into the fruit, but it also brings that juice from the fruit out yeah. into the sangria. You know, as at this time of year, I'm still collecting my summer recipes and saying, oh, it's we're running out of Clock summer. We're not giving up on it yet. We're Clock not giving up. No, no, no. So as we go forward, this is a great wine for the fall, too. Mark, Cabernet Sauvignon, in this wine, and generally, is it one grape? Is it many grapes? So this has a little bit of Petit Verdot and Malbec. Mm -hmm. Some wineries can add up to like 15%. They need to be at least 85% varietal. Some wineries are 100% What do you mean 85% varietal? What does that mean? So it needs to be at least 85% Cabernet here. So 85% of the grapes in this wine are Cabernet, and then there's Petit Verdot and Malbec. I was reading an article the other day in The New Yorker about the uh, winemaker of Bonnie Doon, possibly the best I've ever read as a profile about wine and a winemaker. It was Adam Gopnik, and every single thing he writes I'm fascinated by. He said, well, you know, winemaking goes back to the monks were the first people. Yes. And it was some astonishing year that he I don't know, it was like 4,000, yeah. <laughs> the year 4,000. He said, you know, a lot of people don't know that Cabernet Sauvignon is a blend of the Cabernet grape and Sauvignon Blanc. What? Yeah. What? And back then. Back then, they would just take field blends. So you'd take the whites and the reds and you'd just make it all together and oh, you'd make your house wine. Got. Hey, yeah. we did that once on the show. Yeah, we blended <laughs> we a bunch did. of bottles. Remember, yeah. we blended? Back in the day, you so know. So whatever you had, you'd put you, it in one barrel and off it, you went. And then you would be known for that wine from that province or so you, that land. Today, Cabernet Sauvignon is a mixture of the Cab and a lot of other traditional red grapes. It could be, yeah. But I think it comes back to... 
where it's coming from. Every region has their set of laws that they have to conform to. So some areas it might be 90% that they need to be of that specific grape type to be in the bottle. And to get the special stamp to get that, that says exactly. authentic, right? Exactly. All really fascinating. This is a living, breathing thing in a glass that keeps uh, changing. And I love that about wine. That's and, the best. And yeah. how, it, <laughs> I know, how it goes with food, whether it be savory or mm. dessert, or whether it's just a sipping wine. Fascinating. By the way, Adam Gopnik's story about the former Bonnie Doon owner says that he is now, he did the Cigar Volant wine that was so famous. Randall Graham, right? Randall Mm -hmm. Graham. He's now bought a piece of property in California, and he is apparently trying to create a true American varietal that has never been done before. Wow. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he pioneered that Central Valley, right, in California? Yeah, he did. And so this piece of land that he has has a lot of, it seems dry and arid Mm -hmm. that nothing will grow, but he sees the limestone. That's such Mm -hmm. a key property because the roots have to work so hard to produce something, and then what they produce is often something of great intensity. So uh, limestone is, you know, like singing a love song (laughs) to a winemaker. And so he's got the limestone, and he says, yeah, I'm going to make something happen here. Can't we? Isn't that fun? Super intelligent Oh, he's such a wild man. I just love what he does. Thank you, Chris Brasperi, Mark Raymond, and Robin Doyen Aiken. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 p.m. and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, I hope you'll listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. They're fun to do. And never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.